guys. Hey. So exciting <laughs> to be here. So uh, I'll give a little intro. My name is Mary-Kate Knorr. I'm the executive director of Illinois Right to Life. Uh, Illinois Right to Life Action is our legislative and lobbying, uh, it's our advocacy organization. So we have a podcast. This is our podcast, Life Chat. Um, basically, the, the one of our goals with this podcast really is to create another mode of ways to educate people, not only on life issues, but also specifically on what's actually going on both in Illinois and across the country. There's a lot going on right now. Um, there's a lot of different angles that we can take when we're talking about the pro-life issue. The reason that the two of you are here, so Cecilia Pappas and Megan Wells are here with me today, the reason that they're here is that they're both so good at talking about pro-life on Instagram and using that platform to actually exhibit pro-life values in a way that people can receive them online and then also um, learn from them and take that out into their daily lives. So we did a podcast episode a couple of weeks ago that I think was like a really good teaser to today. And um, I'm pretty pumped to talk about what we're going to talk about today. We've Absolutely. got a couple. We took some suggestions from Instagram. Uh, I actually posted uh, an option for people to send in questions. And we got a lot of questions on a variety of issues. But what we decided to sort of go with is we decided, all right, we're going to spend a little bit of time uh, arguing against three pro-choice arguments that we often hear. Just real quick, we'll go through that. And then we are going to talk a little bit about how being pro-life affects dating and also how it affects marriage. Um, so Megan's married. Cecilia and I are both, well, Cecilia's in a relationship. I'm yeah. single. <laughs> um, but you've dated. But I have dated, and I feel that it, it's true. Like, being pro-life authentically in your life does affect the way that you live in these other areas, particularly when you're talking about discerning your vocation. So uh, so those are the things that we're going to talk about. Um, do you guys want to do, like, a brief intro? Um, just what anything you've experienced from SLS so far that you've enjoyed? Um, I know, Megan, you literally just walked in the door, but I don't know if you have something to say about to that. I'm happy to be here. Nice. <laughs> I went to a great talk by Stephanie Gray, I believe her name is. Yeah. Uh, it was amazing. So when the recaps come out, make sure to check it out. It's pro-life talk, and she's just such an amazing speaker, and it was so good. Learned so much. So she kind of went over some hard arguments and how storytelling comes into play there, but I would definitely encourage people to look up Stephanie Gray. Yeah, she's yeah. so awesome. She did a great episode with Matt Frad on his podcast, um, and it was like, blew my mind. It was like two hours of her just debunking all of these things that I think sometimes as Catholics and even as pro-lifers, we like subconsciously expect truth to stop at some point like eventually I'm gonna run out of arguments and <laughs> it's that just is what it is but Stephanie Gray is such a great example of like that's actually not true truth is always there for us and she has like really tapped into that truth and found such great ways to argue the pro-life uh you know the everything. pro-life value yeah everything everything truly so we were just talking about Ben Shapiro because like who doesn't love Ben Shapiro but we're like <laughs> he talks so fast and just like yeah. confidently and that's something Stephanie Gray does so yeah, yeah. she's awesome yeah. Megan I mean you literally just walked in the door but you got anything no literally just walked here but we've had a couple people walk she up. just walked here <laughs> <laughs> I was about to all my flight issues I know um, but we've had a couple people walk up to the Illinois Right to Life booth so far, and it's just cool talking to them and hearing how girls in college are attacking the pro-life argument in, um, like, research papers and stuff, um, and how girls in um, the work life and stuff are being told you can't have a pro-life argument um, or sticker on your 
You're okay. Keep it going. keeps going off and on. Yeah, yeah. it's um, okay. Keep going. You're okay. You can't have a pro-life sticker on your water bottle at a pool, a public pool. Yeah. Um, and just the little things like that where it's like, wow, this really does impact people every single day. And girls younger than us, too. Like, I didn't, mm -hmm. I wasn't outspoken about it when I was in high school. It's yeah. easier now for me because I'm more grounded in my values and stuff. Yeah. Um, but to think that they're dealing with that now and as a sophomore in high school or something, it's just like, geez. Yeah. Like well, it's like who's you. teaching you? Who's teaching you as a high school student, like, how to argue back to these things? Right. Like, no one. I mean, are parents teaching that? Probably rarely. That's so yeah. how, are we, how are we finding this education? How are we finding these arguments? It's like it really is self-seeking. It's not just going to come to you. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, th and that's a struggle that we've had at Illinois Right to Life. Like, we have a program that is designed to bring pro-life arguments to the classroom that kids, like, teachers can actually teach kids how to talk about pro-life issues. And the problem is that in, like, unless you're a teacher who is particularly convicted for the pro-life issue, why would you spend time on that, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and that's a problem. That's a problem that we don't have teachers. Even in, like, Catholic and Christian schools, we've had challenges trying to get those types of programs into the schools. And, again, I think it's, if you're, if you're not personally convicted for it, then for whatever reason, you don't want to talk about it. Right. Um, and so not to get stuck on Planned Parenthood here, but now that they're in public schools, mm -hmm. it's like, why aren't we in public schools then? Yeah. Like, uh, exactly. Like, really, why aren't we? Yeah. Like, why aren't we in private schools? Yeah. It's just, <laughs> you know, like, we're not. Schools. We're not. So it's just funny to have yeah. that balance. Right. And there isn't a balance, though. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and hey, so, like, look, to bring this conversation full circle, that's the beauty of social media and the Internet in general is that, like, you know, on our last episode when the three of us talked, we talked a lot about live action and the work that they do. Um, in general, I think that, in general, I think that there's so much to be learned from just experiencing that online community and looking at like people like the two of you who are like out there you know you're a photographer and you work for catholic match and i feel like you like always have a project, a side yeah. project <laughs> but you also are outspokenly pro-life and are willing to go to bat on those things which empowers a lot of other people to do the same thing because they learn from your arguments and also they feel like okay these are two normal people that i can look at and relate to and I, it makes me want to be like them a little bit, you know? I mean, you I don't think feel as alone in right. being pro-life because I feel like, you know, the people that are in the wrong always speak louder. They always yell louder. And yeah. you see that in politics. You see it in pro the pro-life movement. And so to be able to kind of have your heart like rested a little bit to know that mm -hmm. you're not alone on that side is just so beautiful. Yeah. It's so beautiful that social media is that medium for it. Amen. Amen. Yeah. That's so true. Yeah. So let's like talk through a couple of different issues. I think there's a couple of things. Um, we talked about a few before we walked over here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, the first one, and this is something that I hear a lot, and I think in general, it's the classic age old argument from the pro-choice movement, which is um, my body, my choice, a fetus is just a clump of cells. Oh yeah, you see it on all the signs. Yeah, right, it's, it's like, literally on all the signs. You go to a signs. woman's march and that's what you exactly. see. It's like, okay, yep. come on. Yeah. So there's a couple of basic things that I always talk about here. First and foremost, it is not your body. <laughs> like, I know that feels so basic that you're like, well, that's not going to convince anybody. No, literally, it's not. The, from the moment of conception, if you did a test to determine the DNA of that tissue, it is yep. separate DNA. Within four weeks, that baby has its own heartbeat. If you put an ultrasound, um, yep. you know, if you, if, you, if you took an ultrasound, there would be two heartbeats on that machine. Separate heartbeat, separate DNA. It's a totally separate body. And, you know, we were just over at our table talking about we have these little 11-week-old models of babies. Mm -hmm. um, if you haven't had a chance to stop at the Illinois Right to Life table, come say hi to us. We uh, have these little models, and 
the 11 weekers, like the amazing thing is that they look like babies. It's they human. look like babies. It's a little <laughs> human. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think that that's, and again, you know, I preface all of this when we talk about arguments, I preface that with, there are some people who just quite simply aren't open to the truth and won't be, won't be receptive to what we say, but that Absolutely. doesn't, but that doesn't mean that we shouldn't make those arguments or that they're wrong or that they're inadequate. They can be perfectly adequate arguments and people just quite simply aren't receptive. I always try to use an analogy yeah, because I feel like people are more open to that. So when people say my body, my choice, I always say a loaf of bread is not part of the oven in which it's baked yeah. because like a body is <laughs> not part of the body in which the baby is like carried. Yeah. You know, yep. and it's like, That's that genius. is so basic. That yeah. is black and white. Yeah. How can you argue with that? Yeah. You can't. Stephanie Gray, one of the best things I've ever heard her say is she talks about how the the problem with making that argument, my body, my choice, is that when you're looking at, okay, like what's the organ that the baby grows in? It's the uterus. What is the purpose of the uterus to grow a baby? That's yeah. literally the purpose yeah. of what it does. Yes. So when you try to make this argument that, well, you know, you're forcing this upon me. No, 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 my friend. That's not how this Or works. that it's a parasite. Like, it's a foreign thing right. to the body. That a cancer. Just, or yeah. it's, like, so funny to me. I don't know. When someone's like, oh, she got pregnant. I'm like, oh, why are you... You did the deed that gets you pregnant. <laughs> Your body is working. I'm so confused why you're surprised I right know. now. Like <laughs> that is like the classic like you it's know when mind we blowing. when we post things on Facebook or something. Like I always read our, our comments sometimes on our Illinois Red Types pages because I think it's funny and you get people on there who are like just don't have sex, which is true. I mean <laughs> it, it is like I'm laughing, but it's it's true. It's you know? easy. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> and even like there's so many cases, so many where the mother is ill and she actually dies and gives birth to a healthy baby right. so if it was one body that, that baby would have died yeah. exactly yeah. exactly that's just another clear yeah. shot that it's just such yeah a, that they're not such the a same. weak case it is a weak it is a weak case it's a weak argument um the second one that we wanted to mention was rape and incest so do you guys, do one of you guys want to take number, the lead on this? That's, I think that's just in general, I think that's the number one argument Argument people yeah. say. It's the pro-life butters. It's they say, I'm pro-life, but yep. um, what if someone was raped? Yep, the exceptions um, argument. Yeah, that's always the exception, so. Well, and it's hard, too, because it's a super touchy topic. And so it's easy to say, well, I'm going to be empathetic now to this person, but not to the whole scenario. Right. Because right. um, it's easier to say, yeah, I'm going to be empathetic to that person who went through such a terrible thing mm -hmm. because you can see them, you see their hurt, you see like yeah. the person itself, and you can't see the child, and the child just looks like an aftermath of tragedy. Yep. You know? Yep. But also, a lot of times, I think it's like the abortion is trauma. Like, having an abortion is not going to unrape someone. Right. It's not. Exactly. Well, and that's, you know, I think, again, I, I get so many arguments from Stephanie Gregg because she's so great. But another argument that she makes is why would we um, why would we give the unborn baby the death penalty for the actions of the father? Right. We don't even give yep. the death penalty to rapists. Yep. You yep. know? Avery talks about yeah, that Yeah, things the like time. that. I mean, a and again, here's the thing. We can say all these things, and some people just quite simply will not be receptive. But it. it's worth arguing because sometimes we plant seeds. Or sometimes you do say something that people are like, wow, I actually, like, never thought of it that way. Um, I, yeah, you know, and just, like, a side comment, too, about the rape and incest thing. I worked in politics before I um, before I worked for Illinois Right to Life, and the 
something that was always sort of a, a litmus test for me when I was, you know, like learning about a new politician or, you know, like geeking out on new candidates that were coming up and looking at people and deciding like, would I ever want to work for this person? Things like that. One of the litmus tests for me was this exception issue because I really feel like you're either convicted for pro-life or you're not. And if you're the type of politician who's going to, I mean, like everyone consider this when you think about who you're going to vote for. Exactly. When yes. you, when you, are the t if you're the type of politician who's willing to make exceptions for something like pro-life, you're pandering. That's what you're doing. You're yeah. saying like, well, I, I want to fall in the middle because I don't want to, sorry, I was going to use a word I shouldn't use. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't want to make these certain people mad. You know, I don't want to upset people on this side of the debate, but I also have to appease the Republican party. Yeah. So let me say I'm pro-life, but also, I don't, uh, you know, I support abortion in cases of this, 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 and this. That's yep. pure pandering. That is, yeah. that's exactly the definition of pandering. Or it's like, I wouldn't get an abortion, but I have oh, nothing. Oh, that's the worst. Yeah, I, I can't <laughs> say anything about yeah. anyone else. Yeah. I can't tell someone else what to do. Yep. And I think that's self-contradicting. It is. I think it's cowardly, illogical, and morally baffling. Right. Like, <laughs> it, it go off. <laughs> It really does. It makes absolutely no sense. That's like someone saying I'm personally against genocide, but if others want to kill off an entire race, that's none of my business. Right. Yeah. Well, and here's like here's the thing about that is that um, I just lost my train of thought. What were you saying? <laughs> <laughs> genocide, you know. Genocide, and we were talking Not about being able to talk on someone else's behalf about something, whether you believe it's right or yeah, wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So here's the thing, like. What are laws? Laws are us telling people that they can't do something. Yeah. That's literally what a law <laughs> is. Laws set the moral standard for society. The, so Bernard Nathanson was one of the founders of NARAL, and then like later in life he had a pretty profound pro-life conversion and also simultaneously converted to Catholicism, which is like a whole other thing that... that Once you find the truth, that's what happens. Seriously, <laughs> like you just can't stop. Honestly, like look at all the people who went, came away from the pro-choice movement over to the pro-life side, like 99% of them <laughs> became Catholic. So I think that says, tells us everything we need to know. Anyway, aside from <laughs> that, sorry, that's my other soapbox. Bernard Nathanson said that the, they used to, uh, a lot of the arguments that they used to make about why abortion should be legal in the U.S. is that all of these women were dying, uh, were dying either performing abortions on themselves or they were, uh, like having, you know, quote unquote, back alley abortions. What you hear, like the coat hanger. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Deal. Yep. Yep. yeah. Yep. Yep. And he came out and said after he became pro-life that all of those reports were across the board, either uh, fabricated or they were just like extremely, um, yeah, they were essentially extreme fabricated. Cases, yeah. yeah. Just like really extreme cases. They were essentially fabricated. And what is with me? I keep losing my train of thought. I forgot what I was going to say with that. But I think that's another argument to make in terms of the laws is that the laws change the culture. Yeah. So they were, a, that's not, that's not true. The reality is that people were not actually having abortions, you know, in the thousands before the, before the law was changed. But now that the law has changed, the numbers have, they instantaneously skyrocketed because when a law changes, it implies that, that okay. culture accepts it. Yeah. yeah. Right. It, that it's okay. That it's acceptable. That That's a base moral standard. It's like, of course, of course yeah. I'm open to abortion. Like yeah. the whole world is. What, what is the deal? Yeah. Like you're crazy for thinking that you're not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're the crazy ones then. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> <That is what> <laughs> yeah. Basically. All right, so that was rape and incest. The last one that we wanted to touch on before we launch into a different topic is pro-life is not pro-birth. Uh, I'm sorry, pro-life is pro-birth, is what pro-life actually, yeah, sorry. We hear from pro-choicers all the time, pro-life is pro-birth. You just want oh the baby to be gosh. born, and then you don't care after that. 
I could go on <laughs> and on and on. Um, anybody want to start? You take it away. So I mean, <laughs> yeah, first and first. foremost, just at our just at our table a little bit ago, we were talking with Megan's husband Avery about adoption, and there's so many are there's so many people who say that adoptions people pro-life people aren't willing to adopt. There are thousands upon thousands, no joke, there are thousands of couples who are struggling with infer for infertility on waiting lists, waiting for a baby to come up so that they can adopt um, or, or so that they can step in when a woman's experiencing a crisis pregnancy. The, the, the idea that there aren't enough parents out there willing to take babies who don't, are, are essentially unwanted by their mothers or they can't support them um, is vehemently, vehemently false. Um, not only that, in terms of adoption, we talked about Alabama specifically. Uh, uh, the other argument that you hear all the time that pro-choicers will say is that, well, all of these pro-life states that pass all of these anti-abortion laws, they, their adoption, you know, they, they're, not, they're not adopting, whatever. And uh, Alabama's abortion rate this last year was, I think, the highest it's ever been. Um, the adoption. The adoption. adoption I literally <laughs> did that at the table. Their adoption rate is the highest yeah. it's, it's ever been. Um, because so many people are open. Mm -hmm. Pro-life people are genuinely open. Yeah, and that's the other thing, too. When you say we're only pro-birth, well, then who's working in crisis pregnancy centers? Exactly. Who's working in the adoption centers? Who's working um, to explain sex education, abstinence, and all these things to other people mm -hmm. and, like, youth groups and stuff? Who's doing that? Mm-hmm. It's not the pro-choicers. Right. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely not. And, I mean, here's the thing. Like, when you talk about the Catholic Church specifically, like, the Catholic Church is the largest provider of voluntary charitable services in the world and has been for decades. Yep. And I think the key there is that that's not just pro-birth. Like, I would challenge all of you to, like, go home and go to the Catholic Charities website for your diocese and look at all of the services that they provide. They provide Services that you don't even think people need. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, so many services. And, uh, I mean, also, people say, okay, well, pro-life and Catholic aren't necessarily simultaneous. I know evangelicals who work in pro-life that they get attacked for being Catholic, and they're like, <laughs> I'm not even Catholic. But people just assume. <laughs> well, it's funny. I mean, go to the March for Life. Yeah. It, there's not people yeah. that, most of the time, it's anti-Catholicism signs. Yeah. More right. over. Yeah. Right. Uh, Choice. Yeah. We met the on-set pastors for the Unplanned movie at the live-action gala, and yeah. they even mentioned something. They said it was really cool to see Catholics and non-denominational Christians work together on a film yeah. for something we should all stand for, because he doesn't believe that the like evangelical non-denominational realm is doing enough on their part. Because it's not it. consistent. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there, there are consistencies across the board with some of those churches that the, some of the things that we experience in Catholicism, they also experience in evangelical churches. I mean, I've, I've spoken at both, and you get a lot of resistance from people. And the reason for that, you get a lot of resistance in both the Catholic churches and also the evangelical churches. And the reason for that is that post-abortive women, the rate of post-abortive women inside the Christian church is so high that it will shock you. I was literally just talking to someone today um, who does post-abortive ministry, and they have a table here at the at the conference. And she was telling me she's been doing this for almost 30 years in Indianapolis, and she was telling me that they that they believe that the post-abortive rate of Catholic women in the U.S. Are you ready for this? Is 40 percent? That's no more way. than a third. Yeah, That's and so I did. I've been doing so events. So four in ten women yeah. in the Catholic yeah. Church. Yep. Wow. Yep. More than a third. Isn't that insane? Wow. And so then you get pastors who, and like, sorry, now we're off on a little bit of a tangent, but you get pastors who pro-life ministry tries to come in and say like, well, let's start a respect life 
ministry or let's start a post-abortive ministry. And pastors will say, we, we don't have that problem here. Pas your pastor is so wrong. Your priest is so wrong yeah. if he thinks that you don't have that problem in your parish. There's a, a parish that I spoke at in the fall that they, I, I got up and spoke, and then afterward this woman came up to me and she explained to me that she started Respect Life Ministry at their parish. And uh, over a three-year period, she encountered 50 women who were post-abortive in their parish alone. And amongst those 50 women, some of them have had as, had, had as many as five abortions. And I spoke with a priest after that who said that he has had experiences with women in his parish that they'll come and confess an abortion over and over and over. Like they have one abortion and they continue to confess it for 25 years because they don't experience that full healing. Um, and I think that this is, it is such an unaddressed issue in the Catholic mm -hmm. church, in the Christian church in general, because I think evangelical yeah. churches have experienced a lot of the same thing. But that's why even an event like this, you'll encounter people that you get a little bit resi of resistance because so many people have been touched by it. And it affects not just the woman, it affects the man. Um, this, you know, the same pro-life, uh, I'm sorry, uh, anti post-abortive ministry that I was, <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about earlier, they shared with me that this the rate of men who experience suffering as a result of an abortion is the same as the rate of women in the Catholic Church. And we experience that we have to minister to men just as we have to minister to women. The ministry is different because the suffering is different. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's the case even for siblings. You know, not, I'm not just talking about parents of aborted children. I'm talking about siblings. Um, you know, other, there are other people who are touched by abortion, friends who had a friend who yeah. had yeah. an abortion. Um, yeah, I don't know. It touches a lot of people. And I mean, again, I think to circle back on this, that's why we have to be so compassionate when we are sharing truth with people in these arguments, because we have to recognize that there is a chance that the person sitting across from me, and actually the chance is highly likely that they have been in some shape or form touched or affected by abortion. They themselves might be post-abortive. And so we have to be willing to enter into that with them and, and engage them, not just in that one moment. And this is sort of the issue that I take a little bit with tabling sometimes is that tabling is great. We have to be, you know, have a face in defending life, especially on college campuses. But, but we need to start having these conversations with people in our daily lives that we already have established relationships with. Yeah. Because if you have someone in your life who is resistant to the pro-life issue, they're probably the person that God wants you to be talking to. True. Yeah. You know? It's the same thing with ministry. People say, you could go be a missionary, but it's like, that's amazing. But what about the people next to you? Amen. Do you know their prayer life? Do you yeah. know if they're going to church? Right. Do you know if they have a relationship with God? Yep. Like, what about the ministry that was placed in your lap? Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Literally. Yeah. So we can kind of shift gears. I think now is maybe a good time to talk a little bit about being pro-life in dating and marriage. I think that, you know, um, obviously Cecilia and I haven't experienced the marriage part, but I think. I gotcha. Marriage, yeah. Megan. <laughs> and I think, you know, like even observing married couples that we know, and I think my parents have had some experiences too, and I know Megan, yours have. Um, but yeah, I think that people underestimate how pro-life impacts your your vocational discernment and the relationships that you have. You know, even, I mean, to be honest, like I was just talking to a seminary friend right before I came over here and he uh, had lunch with the Sisters of Life today and they talked about spiritual fatherhood. And I think that priests and religious have a calling to this issue in the same way that all of us do when it comes to vocation. Um, and so, you know, like for us, when we're talking about dating and, and discerning marriage, pro-life isn't just abortion. And nope. I... 
I like hesitate to say it that way because I think people try to conflate it with a lot of other things. You know, hear, you hear people saying like, well, you know, pro-life is pro-immigrant and some of these other things. And, you know, maybe in a certain sense that that's true. But it could even be to the point of like pro-life, you have to be vegan. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to say oh, yeah. so so We don't, I've heard that so many times. It's not necessarily anti hamburgers yeah <laughs> anti-bacon yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah so I don't know do you guys have any like initial thoughts you want to share do we want to start with dating and go through sure like, yeah we can do it that way yeah um I mean my, my own personal experience with you know being pro-life and dating and I think this is what sort of launched uh this conversation is that I shared that I dated someone who you know we proceeded in a relationship for, you know, a couple of years, and then it, we discovered that we weren't on the same page with contraception. And people, I think as time goes on, the pro-life movement is becoming much more open to recognizing that contraceptives, particularly artificial hormonal birth control, is a pro-life issue because you, the majority of artificial hormonal birth controls are abortifacients, which means that you, you very well could conceive on that medication and the baby will just quite simply be aborted. Um, it'll just be aborted so early that you won't, um, and I can explain a little bit how that works if we need to, but. Well, so even like we could break down the terms like pro-life versus being open to life. Maybe, yeah. we, maybe we touch on that when we touch on marriage, but I think that really yeah. plays hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. Well, and even, but like, I mean, I guess that's true for dating too, because when you're dating someone that, you know, you're discerning, like, is this person someone that I want to, enter into a sacrament with if they have this mentality that children are something to be like possessed you know like as like possessions of like well, you know I want to get married and have x amount of children and I want to like all dress in the and we're know, stopping there <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah exactly and we're stopping there that's the key like I think that the pro-life mentality is something that you have to discern whether or not that person shares that with you long before you enter into yes. you get to a place you yes. know yeah, and that's where the contraceptive issue comes in. Mm -hmm. Is um, if if this person and, and speaking as a wim, uh, as a woman, like I think women, um, we have a particular place here to be very careful because you do men need to be leaders in this area, and if a man that I'm dating is telling me that I have to be on contraceptives when we get married, that should be a red flag to you. <laughs> that's not okay. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. It baffles me that people don't have these conversations off yes. the bat. Yes. Like, it really yeah. does. Yeah. Because for me, that's a deal breaker. Yeah. Do well, I want to sit here? I mean, maybe it's like, okay, some people are called to, like, help people convert their mindsets and stuff. I don't think I am. <laughs> I mean, I would rather just date someone that is already on the same page. Yeah. yeah. And I want to no know that off the bat. Up yeah. In here. Uh huh. Yeah. Exactly. Well, no exactly. one realizes too that that plays into such a huge, huge role of marriage, like a huge part of marriage, like that intimacy yeah. with them and sex with them, like that is a huge part of yeah. marriage, and it will make or break your marriage. And this pro-life, open-to-life part is like first and foremost yeah. in that conversation, and no one talks about it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think even just for teenagers or whatever, like college students, I think in my experience, a lot of the time, like if they're not Catholic, they've never thought of someone not using contraceptives. Totally. They've never even thought that there is harm in that. Right. They just thought, 
oh, everyone's on it. Like, right. this is so common. Why right. wouldn't you be on it? Right. Why wouldn't you make it easier for me? Right. Like, it is, and, and what's interesting, too, who was, I think Jason Everett said this on a podcast, but he was saying men contraceptives were actually, came about the same time as women. Yes. Yeah. That is true. And so, and here's a fun fact for you. So, they were testing female contraceptives and male contraceptives at the same time. Men on contraceptives experienced a particular discomfort that they didn't like. Three women died while they were testing the pill. Good Lord. So all they did, this is true, so all they did is they just decreased the dosage for the pill um, so, that, so that it wouldn't be uh, fatal, so it wouldn't be lethal for women. Um, and then the, okay. me the men, they were just <laughs> like, forget it. Yeah. We don't need this. Yeah, I don't yeah. want to say the word. Um, I don't know a better word to use. <laughs> I'm not going to describe it. But, but yeah. So they uh, we can use their imagination. Yeah, there. you can use your imagination. <laughs> it was uncomfortable for the men to be on birth con to be on artificial hormonal birth control. So y yeah, totally. I think um, it, it's it's very clear that that movement, like the contraceptive movement, is ironically very. It's sexist. It's yeah. anti-woman. Yeah. It really, really is. Um, you know, another thing that, uh, going back to how it affects marriage and dating and, you know, what should we be thinking about when we're discerning that, one of the things that we hear a lot when we talk about contraceptives is, well, we can just use a condom. And first of all, like once they know the harm of what true yeah. birth control yeah, does, artificial, then, yep. then that's their backup. Yeah, okay. yeah, like, okay, like a condom isn't an abortifacient. We're not actually aborting. Right, yeah. So here's the thing, you guys, this is amazing if you don't know this already. Oh, so blow my mind. The <laughs> I know. <laughs> Men and women's bodies are designed in such a way that like even if a baby is not conceived, there's like an exchange there mm -hmm. that is critical to the woman's biology. So if how do I explain this? Um so like obviously what the condom does is it it stops that. It right. stops any exchange of of fluids at all. Right. Um but w when it comes to you know, that exchange, that exchange, the, the, the things that the woman receives from the man mm -hmm. in that exchange are nutrients that prepare her body for pregnancy. So not only does the, her body become, t like begin to recognize like, okay, this isn't a foreign agent entering right. me. This is something that's good and is providing me with nutrients. And it actually prepares her womb to hold a child in it. Like it literally gives her body nutrients for that. Yep. But, if, um, but if she's not receiving that, um, there's higher cases of like infertility, higher cases of So she's doing the deed but with a condom. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Keep going. It makes sense. Yeah. So it, it causes a, a ton of issues for her like uh, I think there's there's a couple of again now I can't remember the name but there's a couple of very specific uh complications in pregnancy that we see in specifically in couples who use condoms as a contraceptive. So again, it's this amazing thing of like truth genuinely goes all the right. way. You think that you you think that, that these are hard arguments to make right. and the truth is there for us. It's not hard to make yeah. these arguments. They're authentic yeah. and they're real. The best thing for man and woman biologically, spiritually, emotionally, you know, emotionally like mentally. is like total complete giving of oneself and yep. you know that's the other thing is like if you're dating someone who wants to use contraceptives or even thinks abortion is fine that's a, an indicator a spiritual indicator that they're not giving they're not ready to give all the way you mm -hmm. know right um everything and that's else what is marriage selfish. is yeah, yeah at that point everything yep. else is well i'd rather do this right now with my time i'd mm -hmm. rather not have kids i'd rather not give myself fully to you because i'm not ready yet like right what is that why yeah. are you getting married then? yeah yeah <laughs>
And I think that men have to lead particularly in this area. Again, that's why women need to be so discerning. And, and also men. Um, I have um, a couple people in my life, guy friends and a, a family member, who I've had these conversations with them about, you know, how do you live pro-life in your dating? You know, how, how, how are you pro-life in your dating life? And a, a few of them are more secular than others. Um, I think that for some of them, they might not start, you know, like lead with that in the dating relationship, but eventually yeah. I think maybe it would come up and they would really think hard about, you know, whether or not they wanted to continue on with a woman who wasn't pro-life. Um, but some of the men, they're, you know, a little more secular, raised Catholic, but not necessarily practicing. And their primary thought, I think, is like, I, the last thing I want to do is get into a dating relationship and tell, and get into it with a woman about abortion and contraception and have her tell me that, well, it's my body, my choice. I can do whatever I want, you know? So guys kind of like wimp out on this. And I was, I was just saying to my seminarian friend, um, man up. Yeah. Men, men have to lead on this issue. Like it is right. natural order for men to lead. Men have to lead on this issue just like everything else. And what's so interesting is like people I know they might have this conversation and it, it's about contraception, it's about abortion, maybe it's about sex before marriage. Mm -hmm. And the man's like, yeah, I respect you and this is why I will agree to this, but they're not doing it for themselves. Right. Right. They're not doing it because they actually believe it. They're doing right. it to make the woman happy. And that's in the end, that's still not gonna work. Right. Because right. he's faking it. Yeah. Right. Well, and the problem too is like the guys that don't wanna have that conversation or don't wanna tell a woman, cause it's, it's her body, right? She's the one that gets pregnant. Well, no. That fertility is yours when yeah. you guys are married. That is both of your fertility, yeah. and you need both of you for that to exist. Yeah. So it's not it's not just a one way conversation. It's yep. not just a woman issue here. Like yeah. It's not. And even you know, like even before that, like let's say let's say we're talking about a couple that they do have sex, they get pregnant. Yeah. That's your baby too. Yeah. yeah. And you're gonna feel a heck of a lot differently when you realize that your child's now inside this woman's womb. And she can walk into an abortion clinic any yep. day if she wants to, and and you know take terminate uh, yeah terminate yeah. the pregnancy. Yeah. Um, there's a video that I think it was a guy in Illinois. It's heartbreaking. Um, oh yep. Do you know what I'm talking about? This video that went viral of this kid whose girlfriend got pregnant, and he followed her to the abortion clinic and like sobbed on the sidewalk and like yelled and screamed and begged her not to do it. And honestly that guy is a hero because mm -hmm. every single man whose woman, whose woman, <laughs> whose woman, <laughs> whose lady, every man, every man who's, uh, who, significant who's baby other. mama, it's <laughs> <laughs> the only word, right? <laughs> walks into an abortion clinic to try to abort his child should be on the sidewalk screaming and crying and begging her not to do it. Right. But I think our culture has convinced men that that's not their place. Mm -hmm. And that's why, that's, that's why, why there's fatherlessness. Too. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, like I don't, sometimes I don't blame the men, men because it's like we, yeah. this, this culture, this like feminist weird kind of culture going on right now men are scared to get into anything yeah. because they're just gonna get in trouble yeah like, they really can't win yeah, honestly like if you're a man win. nowadays you cannot win yeah so you might as well do the right thing yeah like, <laughs> you know like that's either way I'm you're at. gonna lose so just do the yeah. right thing yeah. <laughs> but actually that's not true though because right. actually if you do the right thing you know yeah. what's gonna happen you're gonna attract the right woman yeah and yeah. the two of you will be able to share that together you know um true. Did you, Meg Megan made a face like, like yeah, yeah, I know, that is how it works. <laughs> That's pretty much how it goes. <laughs>
Oh yeah. So marriage, Meg, tell us, how is it? Well, <laughs> gosh, no. So I can start first, though, with my um, parents, because theirs is a lot more full circle. They've seen both sides of it. Mm -hmm. um, Avery and I just went from the beginning of dating through engagement, through marriage mm -hmm. still, um, being pro-life, being open to life and knowing what that looks like and not using contraceptives, condoms, practicing NFB and stuff like that. But my parents, both raised Catholic, just not ever really taught everything about their faith, not told birth control's wrong, not told why, not not ever really or even educated. like what is birth control? Yeah, right. right. What does it yeah. do? What does it do for your marriage? What does it do spiritually? Like what does the church say on it? None of that. So they went into marriage um, using birth control and condoms, I believe, mm -hmm. and um, got pregnant with me. And at this point, like when I was born, they were heading towards divorce. They were like my mom looked at my dad at one point and said, I feel like I'm being used. Yeah. And, I, and to hear my mom tell me that at, like years later was yeah. like, oh, my gosh, my parents are like angels. Kind They're saints. Like, what the heck? Yeah. You felt that from my dad? Like, yeah. I love you guys. Like, how? How could that ever come into your mm -hmm. marriage, you know? Um, and so they knew that they either needed to go to counseling or start counseling um, or figure something out or this was just going to end really yeah. soon. And they had a one-year-old. So yeah. um, my dad came back one day and said he had signed them up for NFP classes. And my mom was like, what the hell? Why? Wow. Um, because everything they'd been told about no, NFP at that point. Your dad took the lead. He did. He <laughs> did <laughs> take the lead. Full circle. Yeah. <laughs> he did. Um, and at the time, what everyone knew about NFP was that you have 15 kids and you're just open to life all the time. And so my mom's like, what the hell are you doing? Like, this is not going to help us yeah. at all. She was very. As um, the woman's mind spirals right, everywhere. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and so they go to some classes and eventually my mom starts being open to it and receptive to it. And obviously they now practice it. They don't use condoms or contraceptives. They have, I have four younger siblings now and they contribute that to not only like the success, like they got past a divorce, yeah. but like the strength and the healthiness of their marriage yeah. and how it applies to their life outside of their marriage too. Like right. how they serve others, how they serve the church, how they help others. Um, they, they go to a soup kitchen every Sunday. I guarantee you. Had they never come full circle with, like, what does open to life look yeah. like in every aspect of marriage, they would not be taking their four younger children on yeah. a Saturday morning to a soup kitchen. Like, there's and no And you way. wouldn't be right here right no. now talking yeah. about no. NFP. Either. I would like, not <laughs> be talking about NFP because the only way I know it is because they learned it and taught it and all those things. And you know what that is? Like, that is pro-life is trust. Mm -hmm. It's it trust is. in God. NFP is really all about trust it is trusting yeah. like just trusting that god has a plan because i mean obviously i don't know from experience but nfp from what i've been told <laughs> is really hard yes it's hard if yeah. you want to practice it if, if you ha have to live it right and so you really have to trust that god has it right and i mean that's the other thing about we even have to be so careful let's be very clear like with nfp and you can talk about this a little bit meg abstaining to prevent pregnancy, that should be reserved for a grave reason. Right. And I think that nowadays, with the way that our culture is, we get caught up in this idea that, um, w you know, we're using NFP because we want to continue to live our lifestyle or we yeah. want to be yeah. single for the first, yeah. er, we want to be childless for the first three years of our marriage right. so that we can, like, travel and do all yeah. of these things. <laughs> yeah. That's not, 
that's not, that's not the a idea. great reason. That <laughs> is not, not a, a good reason. reason. Yeah. And I think again, you know, and, and okay, maybe we, let's be fair. I don't, I don't want to be judgmental. That's not my intention. Right. I also think that there are some genuinely some people who are just afraid. No, yeah. I think it, there you are have women. to take into all the things. Like it could be financial. It could be like emotional. Totally. It could be right now we're in a bumpy relationship, or we just moved somewhere new, or just like a lot of different things. And something could be great for someone, where someone else is like piece of cake. Right. Like it's something you have to discern together. But you discern it together because it is important and it right. is yours together. Right. Like, that's something you both have to tackle. But trusting God in yeah. those things, that's that brings grace. Yes. When you choose to do something based not in your own ability in the sense that, like, I know that I can get through this. And you do it based on the fact that I know this is the righteous thing to do and it's what God has told me to do. And I trust that even if, even if something there's some obstacle ahead. I trust that God will, will see me through that. Grace is abounding in those scenarios, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think like your family is a perfect example. The grace just poured out because your parents decided to do the right thing. Right. As is the case with all of the amazing pro-life stories that we hear about, you know, different couples who the woman receives like a particularly difficult prognosis while she's pregnant and there's a question of well should we do chemo or something like that um all these other things and you hear these courageous stories of people who decided you know we're pro-life we um you know again in marriage let's okay yeah for example um uh kiara gosh nicole Kiara, what's her name? Um, <laughs> Ki- Kiara, Cor- the, the Corbella is yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. her story is absolutely incredible. I encourage everyone to we- read that book. They're a great example of being pro-life in marriage because she experienced not one, not two, but three separate occasions that she w- became pregnant in their marriage and had to take a pro-life stance. The first two pregnancies that she had, um, she was told to abort and she chose not to. And then the third pregnancy that she had, she herself received a fatal prognosis and doctors wanted her to start chemo, but she chose to wait until after she um, was far along enough in the pregnancy that it wouldn't hurt the baby. And these people are heroes. First of all, I think she's going to be a saint, probably. (laughs) I mean, I'm not the church, so don't quote me on it, but I think (laughs) she's going to probably be a saint. But also, you just, these are the opportunities for miracles. Like, these are where we see miracles happening because people chose to do the right thing even when it was hard. Mm -hmm. And grace is abounding. Yeah. Right. And I was just, to jump back a little bit, it's like, can you even do NFP if the man's not on board? Like, I can't think of another. (laughs) No, like, you can't. Like, I can't think of another quote unquote, like, contraception. That, that involves is both that involves both parties. Both, yeah. There's none. Otherwise, it's just on the woman when it's still half of half of the yeah. man's baby. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know. No. Yeah. It's so true. it's not just the woman's fertility. Then it's like the couples. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. Is beautiful. And that's one of the cool things too. Like the like. So we talked about dating. We talked about marriage. But like the engagement process too. And when you start to learn NFP. And like let's let's make it clear. NFP does not mean you have to have 15 kids. You can Definitely. choose to abstain if there is a grave reason. Um, but it just asks that you use the body that you have that God gave you and designed so perfectly that you don't need to mess with it mm-hmm, <laughs> and you're open to life all the time um, and the cool thing about doing it when through engagement when you start to learn it together is that you are really tested on like are we willing to take this on like it's not we're not just getting married because it's fun and it's cute and we love each other like yeah. this is a bigger thing than ourselves yeah. and are we willing to do this together and are we willing to fail test after test after test after test to pass this NFP course? Are we willing to call up my parents of 
25 plus or 20 plus years and talk to them about cervical mucus or something <laughs> with my fiance. Like, uh, am I am I willing to yeah. do that? You know, right? Because it's that important, and yep. it's it should be that easy to talk about with other people because it is so life giving, literally. Yeah. But um, in other ways too, and experiencing that when you're engaged and then going into marriage and actually being able to implement it and like see it happen every single time you go into the bedroom to take that part away from marriage like you miss something huge yeah and Avery and I will talk about it all the time but we're like uh, we don't know how anyone could do this any other way like there's no way I would not feel the same I would not leave feeling the same he would not leave feeling the same yeah we would not be as close grace would not be present we would be blocking it out every single time like God sorry this is the one place you can't enter in my marriage yeah what (laughs) amen no way. Amen. I have a friend who, uh, she is pregnant with her second now, um, but when she and her husband were preparing for marriage, they met with an NFP uh, yeah. NFP practitioner, and her husband is kind of one of those guys that he's like, ugh, don't talk to me about yeah. any of that. Yeah. But he loved it, like mm-hmm. loved it, like to the point that she kept looking over at him like, why do you why are you enjoying this so much? <laughs> like, smiling, <laughs> like, yeah, jumping out of his and seat. She, yeah, and she asked him afterward, why Why do you like this so much? And he was like, because I'm learning about you. Yes. I'm that, learning about yes. your body, and it's amazing and yeah. so beautiful and such a miracle that God created you this way. And she's telling me this story, and I'm, and like, weeping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. That's so beautiful, and that's how it should be, you know? And when we when we can push through that fear of is my life going to be miserable if I get pregnant or, or even, you know, again, like I, I recognize there are like reasons that people, you know, grave reasons. Um, but if, if some of it's fear and, and we can push through that, like that's mm-hmm. grace, grace will do what it does, yeah. Yeah. you know? Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. This whole time we think about it, I'm like, man, I could not imagine dating someone that is not on the same page as that. I, know. I would feel so alone. I really would. Or like in the back of your mind, you'd be hoping like maybe one day they'll come around. Like that is really sad. Yeah, it is sad. I could not imagine. It's divisive. And I think like, you know, I've heard stories of people whose parents did use contraceptives. I think that your children experience the spiritual effects of that. And you might not even realize it. You know, if you're not fully giving yourself to your spouse the way that you should, that's something that your children, you know, I think without, without knowing um, your children experience, like, experience the effects of that. And I think parents do play a, a big part because, as, as, I mean, in high school, yeah, you can get birth control before you can get an aspirin at school, but it's like who most of the time, like, it's the parents that are being able to, their, their child, their girl comes to them and says, like, I have cramps, stuff like that, and it's the mom that it takes them and has them put on birth control. So I think it is a huge uh, parents play a huge part in this and the influence of kind of where their ideology lays. With totally. And what life. are you going to do if you're not on the same page? Yeah. I, I tell people that all the time. Um, literally just today I was um, telling our friend Nicole about it because I have such a vivid memory like of my mom sitting me down around, I don't know, like 12 and giving me basically the, you know, quote unquote sex talk and explaining to me like, this is what your period is. This is what sex is don't have sex with anyone other than your husband. Sex is only meant for your husband. And I seriously look back on that moment and I feel like that moment made me the person I am right now because yeah. 
she told me everything I needed to know, not only about that particular, like, very specific thing, but about who I am as a woman. Yeah. And I carried that. You know, I've carried yeah. that. I'm 27 yeah. years old. I've carried that with me all yeah. this time. And I think I, I've he heard from people who've had similar experiences. Um, my, my cousin told me recently that when she started dating someone seriously, her dad sat her and the boyfriend oh down together and told them, do not have sex. You wait to have sex till you're married. And I think that, actually, let me back up. I know who she, he, he sat down, her, her brother, and her brother's girlfriend, the three of them together. Oh, oh <laughs> So my she's gosh. sitting next to her brother when he's telling her that, when he's telling them this. But anyway, that's how you do that. And you know what? I don't think any of them that right. I know. Yeah. And I don't care <laughs> how awkward it is in that moment. It's going to be a lot right. more awkward. You, right. you have to have an alternative conversation. Right. Absolutely. Again, the man took the lead. Yeah. The father yeah. took the lead. And again, I think, okay, let's talk about, I, I think every woman in some shape or form experiences like a maternal instinct, you mm -hmm. know, and maybe, okay, maybe that's un unfair to say every woman. There is a part of us, a deep part of us that wants to mother yeah. other people, whether it's spiritually, biologically, whatever. Mm -hmm. If you have that feeling in your heart, why would you not? And, and that's so core to who we are. You yeah. know, my, yeah. my little sister we used to tease her because we literally, like, I think our parents had to take dolls away from her because she played with dolls till she was, like, 13. <laughs> I make her sound so weird. That's not true. But she just wanted so badly to be yeah. a mother, you know? She wanted so badly to be a mother. And so I think all of all women, in some shape or form, we have that inside of us. Just like men have that same instinct with fatherhood. Right. Why would you not want to preserve that right. until it, and wait for the right, the right time, the right moment, you know? Right. Um, we know how motherhood and fatherhood are, are created and are birthed. They are through sex. Yeah. Um, obviously, there are situations like rape. You yeah. know, that's the one that you hear, obviously, when um, we have this conversation that when a woman's raped, that's a, that is a tragedy for right. a woman to be raped. Um, but, again, that's still a human life. Right. And look at, there are, are people who were conceived in rape, and it's miraculous mm -hmm. that they were created and are here. I mean, it's a perfect example of God makes all things good. Yeah. Um, yeah. He m makes good of even the worst things. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see interview after interview for women who have been in that terrible situation. And they say, this child is the most healing thing for me. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Th I think that's the key. And I, again, th those are the types of things that I've heard, had people say to me like, well, that's anecdotal. You can't, you can't like quantify that for me. But it's the reality. Look, you're so right. Stories of women who chose to carry their their um, child conceived in rape to full term, and they they think all throughout that they're going to look at that child and see their rapist. And when they look at that child, who do they see? They see their child. They see their child, yeah. yeah. Right. So I think it's, um, yeah, it, it all comes back to, you know, it all comes back to it's a child. Like that's yeah. a human being inside the womb and that's why we have to take it so serious that's why we have to take sex so seriously yeah you could potentially create another human being yeah by you know participating even if you're on all the contraceptives and everything yeah. there's still a chance we know plenty of people Amen. who still Don't god be works if you're yeah. doing the deed and your body ended up working <laughs> how much like i was just gonna say how much time do we have because i want to talk about that for a second do it, do it so planned parenthood um well, so I think the statistic is like 50 or 51% of women who go into Planned Parenthood to receive an abortion were on some form of contraceptive when they conceive. Mm -hmm. So this idea that contraceptives are going to protect you from pregnancy is just vehemently false. Mm -hmm. Planned Parenthood gives out the birth control pill on purpose. It's, uh, it has what's called a high human error rate. That means mm -hmm. that you're yep. going to mess it up. Eventually, you're going to mess it up. So they give out the pill 
It has a high human error rate. Specifically, they give it to teenagers. That's why they're going right. into high schools in right. California now because Perfect. they want to give these kids sex ed, which is really, it's actually, yeah, let me educate you about sex. Let me tell you, you know, here's how you do it. Mm -hmm. Here's the contraceptives you need to use to avoid getting pregnant, et cetera, et cetera. And they, it's like the power of suggestion. They like put the idea in kids' heads, kids who might not be sexually active. They put the idea in their heads and then they tell them, come to us for your contraceptives. They start this relationship with them mm -hmm. that these girls are going to Planned Parenthood to get their contraceptives. They trust um, them, they're familiar, they're yeah. comfortable. Mm -hmm. Yep. No one else is talking to them about that either. So yeah, why exactly. Not? So they go to Planned Parenthood, they start this relationship with them. I think the statistic on teenagers who get their birth control from Planned Parenthood who inevitably become pregnant is something like within one year of beginning that that uh, contraceptive, 16% yeah. are pregnant. That's not and very encouraging. And what do people say? They're like, oh, there's a 99.9% .9 I get or chance that I won't get pregnant on this pill. Yeah. It's yeah. like, oh, no. really? You're the one percent. Right. Well, okay. Point like, one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, because that's the thing. Like, they give a high human error rate type of birth control to teenagers who are already inherently irresponsible. Yeah. yeah. And they say to these girls, "You have to take this pill every single day. If a girl who's taking the birth control pill misses a pill, she immediately ovulates. So it's not like." oh, you might get pregnant based on where you're at in your cycle. It's like, no, your body is now saying, time to ovulate, time to cycle, time to get pregnant. They, your body drops an egg. And if you have sex the same day that you miss your pill or a day or two after, you are like, it's really, a really high yeah. chance that you're yeah. going to get pregnant. And then what are they going to do? Because they've already been going to Planned Parenthood for all their contraceptives. Th they go to Planned Parenthood to get an abortion. And that's, I mean, Humanae Vitae, um, Pope Paul VI, yeah. who wrote Humanae Vitae, if you haven't read it, read it. It's so, so important and truly prophetic when we're talking about, you know, what where we're at right now in these times. Mm -hmm. In Humanae Vitae, he talked about this is what the birth control pill is going to do. It's going to increase the uh, the pregnancy rate outside of marriage. It's going to increased the divorce rate. It's yep. going to increase instances of same-sex attraction. Right. And it's also going to um, increase, did I say the abortion rate? Yeah, the yeah, abortion rate. But it's going to also, he said else. something about how women are going to start to become objectified yep. and men are just going to leave. Like yeah. there's no there's no responsibility for men anymore. And, and that's all the women's fault. That's exactly what's happened. I mean, look, we have a, a crisis of fatherhood. I think it's even li lived out in the priesthood right now, the crisis of fatherhood mm -hmm. that we have. I yeah. think that's... Yeah. I mean, I'm no expert, but maybe that's, I think that's part of the reason that we have this, this, uh, the sex abuse crisis that we have is that there is a total crisis of fatherhood in our world today. Men, um, it, and, and certainly not, I think like obviously the Catholic culture where, you know, we receive information, um, and so much grace that it's just, the culture is different, but you know, the, the crisis of fatherhood in for, okay, Chicago, where I'm from, for example, the crisis of fatherhood in these neighborhoods is so apparent. I just met with a bishop a couple days ago who used to run the prison ministry for the south and west sides of Chicago. And um, if you're not from Chicago, those are not the best sides. No, <laughs> they're, it's, they're some of the worst areas in the country, I think. Yeah. Um, I wish I knew that the, I wish I knew that, I wish I knew the incarceration rate around there, but I don't. But he was saying to me that the number one issue for all of these men in prison is that they don't have fathers and they're still living like little boys. Yep. Yeah. And think about what's happening here. We're talking about grown men. We're talking about men who probably have children of their own. And not only are, are they incapable and don't have the tools to father because they themselves don't have fathers, but they also are removed from the home because they're in prison right. 
and probably conceived most of their children out of wedlock and probably have more than one woman in their life. And, uh, and, and it's just repeating the same cycle. Mm-hmm. It's repeating yeah. the same cycle. And, and, and t- yeah, I think it goes back to birth control has contributed so much to those things because how many of those women are going to Planned Parenthood to get the pill? Probably most of them. Right. And it still comes down to the fact that people are so shocked mm-hmm. when they find out that I don't use birth control yeah. or that I will never use birth control or yep. that I'm against birth control. It's like something like so crazy to them that someone would be against that. Right. And it's because there's no knowledge about it. It's just such, it's not, like birth control is not a taboo thing. Right. It's just like, of course I'm using it. You're, you're not? Right. Well, like, because now when you're 14 years old and you go to the doctor because you have zits, the dermatologist yeah, is like, go, just go on birth control. <laughs> I had this conversation with my dermatologist six months ago. And Did you challenge him on it? Oh, yeah. Oh, my <laughs> gosh. I was like, well, I'm not doing that, so come up with something else. And I think he thought I was crazy. He was like, this girl clearly has no social life. He doesn't want <laughs> he, he to do his job. Go out he even? doesn't want to find an actual cure for it. He wants to just patch it up yep. with some birth control. Well, a lot of the time, I was talking to one of my nursing um, roommates in college, and she was saying, they don't tell you any other options. They tell you the fix mm-hmm. for this, 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 and this. All yeah. totally different things yeah. is birth control. And they don't give you any other knowledge. It's right. like, come on, we are in a <laughs> very knowledgeable scientific world now. We can figure something out. Yeah, and now. can we just like touch on what birth control actually does? Yeah. Like what it does, it pretty much tells your body like tells your body that you're pregnant twelve months out of the year and right. that you also miscarried twelve right. months out of the year. That's why it, women it I, that's right, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's why women are glowing when they're on the pill. Because your body thinks that you're pregnant. That's what it does. I think that's the spiritual irony of that to me is just so sinister because what the devil has done is he's created this tool that women, he's using the beauty that women are when they hold life inside of them to prevent them from having life inside of them. Yeah. It's so sinister. And again, yeah, it's so warped. It's so warped. Um, Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a travesty, and, and I think, again, it goes back to, you know, talking about dating and marriage, it goes back to men have to be willing to have these conversations with the women in their lives. Because most women, I mean, I can promise you there are women at this conference who are on the pill. Oh, yeah. I can promise you that because so many women go on the pill for so many reasons that have nothing to do with, with contraception. Right. Right. And, and I think that's where defensiveness also comes in in the pro-life movement, too, is because so many people are on the pill. And so they think, well, I'm on the pill, then I can't really take a stance on this pro-life movement. Yeah. You know what I mean? So there's that defensive kind of barrier in the conversation. It weakens the, yeah, it weakens it. I think that's true. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and you talk too about how the guys need to have this conversation, but girls, we care so much about our bodies and our looks and everything. Why don't we care about this? Totally. And then we wonder later on why we can't have kids or why we're struggling with kids or anything like that. And it doesn't even come into, like, we don't even take note. We People care about what makeup they put on their face now because it gets absorbed into our bloodstream. Right. Why don't you care yeah. about what is literally in our culture <laughs> that like you. you can't eat yeah. GMOs or and you can only have organic food, which yeah. I mean, all you know, whatever. That's a whole other. Thing. <laughs> That's another, another podcast. Day. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like and you're putting an artificial hormone hormones into your body, right? Yep, right. And you wonder why you're having these these problems that our doctor can't yeah. fix. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's and true. not even just not even just the pill. I mean, there's a plethora of yeah. different kinds. IUDs, of, yeah. IUDs are yep. becoming the new thing. Yep. Yeah, and you know, actually, really it's quick. the trend. <laughs> yeah, it is truly. Um, 
actually, okay, we're, we're like running out of time, but really, really quick, I just want to say too, um, another thing that we're seeing recently uh, is the, what was I going to say? Uh, the, so the abortion pill. Um, so, I mean, not without getting into the whole like types of abortions and, you know, what they all are. The abortion pill is being pushed by Planned Parenthood harder than ever before, and specifically in California, they just passed a law that all health centers on college campuses have to provide the abortion pill. This is a massive problem. Can you give some details yeah. on to the abortion pill of how uh, uh, how mature the baby is at that point? Yeah. When, when that can be given? Yeah. So the abortion pill is used up to 10 weeks uh, gestation. So it's pretty early in the pregnancy. Like for a woman who's not expecting to get pregnant, there's a chance that she might not even know she's pregnant yet. And, and what is the percent of women, how far along they are when they get abortions? Uh, is it like 10? It, what is it like around It's 10? higher. I, well, okay, so here's it's the struggle. We okay. don't necessarily keep track. Uh, there's no way to really know how many women receive abortions using the abortion pill. There's not really any way to know because a lot of states don't keep track. There's also like telemedicine technology nowadays that women can video, you know, women in rural communities can video chat a doctor from like a their pharmacy and then the doctor will say like okay I can confirm that you're pregnant which I don't know how they do that but they can <laughs> confirm they can confirm that she's pregnant and then um, like release someone told me that there's some pharmacies that they literally like release it's like a release button on a drawer and the drawer opens up and it has the abortion pill inside and she can take the abortion pill so th the but the the, the concern the convenience factor is just mind-blowing right there it's yeah. so sinister Sorry, it's you off there no but yeah, it's genuinely it's sinister so the problem, though, when we talk about college campuses in California is that people conflate the abortion pill with Plan B. So Plan B is an abortifacient that you take after, um, that you take after, like immediately after having sex or, you know, the day after within 24 to 48 hours. Um, essentially what it does is it, it basically stops the, the fertilized egg from, egg from embedding. From, yeah, thank you, egg from implanting. So... Plan B is an abortifacient. You can't, it, it's an abortion. That's, mm -hmm. that is an abortion. You can get them at Walgreens. You can get them anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I think in vending machines on some college campuses Good nowadays. Boys. That surprised me. Yeah. But the abortion pill, it, it's scary because what the abortion pill does is it's, it, it's much more dangerous to the woman. I mean, plan B is dangerous for the woman. Right. The abortion pill is far more dangerous for the woman. And there's a chance with the way that they're handling this in California, there's a chance that women will start taking the abortion pill like it's plan B and they won't, they're not even necessarily pregnant yet. Yeah. So this is going to create major issues. I mean, imagine this, like we have now women on college campuses in California can go get plan, can go get the abortion pill from their health center. They're going to experience the after effects of an abortion, heavy bleeding, yeah. clotting, all these other yeah. things in their dorm room, by themselves, in a shared, in, in a shared communal bathroom. And then what if there's a complication? I mean, if yeah. for those of you who've seen Unplanned, that's the type of abortion that Abby Johnson had. And she bled shower, for like yeah. six weeks, I think. Yeah. And just like major cramps and like yeah. could not get up. Yeah. so much pain. Yeah. And again, it all comes back to, okay, like if we're talking about dating and marriage, it all comes back to men need to lead so that yeah. women don't have to experience this. This is traumatic. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. An abortion is always a trauma experience. It's always traumatic for the woman. And for the women who hold up signs saying the abortion was the happiest day of their life mm -mm. or that they love their abortion, mm -hmm. they're just so far in denial. Yeah.
I agree. Or just so far hurt that it's turning in round, like opposite. For you them. get to yeah. a point that you just have to like justify, justify, justify mm-hmm. um, to, to defend. I mean, and you know, again, Stephanie Gray. Stephanie Gray says abortion is maybe the most high stakes issue out there because either the pro-lifers are wrong and we just hate women and don't want them to exercise their, apparently their right to bodily autonomy or whatever you want to call it, or the pro-choicers are wrong and they're con- consenting to murdering children. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> it is one or the other. One yeah. is definitely more grave than the other too. Yeah, for sure. So I think, I think we covered a lot. Any, any last thoughts? It came thoughts? full circle. It really <laughs> did. It did come full it circle. It did. Any last thoughts you guys want to share? I think I'm all good on my side. Cool. Same. Yeah. I'm good. Nice. This was fun. Well, thanks. Yeah. Thanks, guys. <laughs> thanks for listening. Um, housekeeping items really quick. Life Chat Podcast is the name of our podcast for those of you who just walked up. Um, we're a little red icon. We're available on Spotify, Google Play, and um, Apple podcasts and when she's where she says when she says where she means mary kate <laughs> yeah. Yeah. i don't know i was kind of thinking hey, you guys should just start doing it with me <laughs> we should <laughs> yeah so we uh we're a project of illinois right to life action um i'm the executive director of illinois right to life my name is mary kate uh yeah we are uh, follow us on facebook um you know like us on instagram follow us on instagram all those other things and do you guys want to drop your Instagram handles really quick while we're sitting here? Since we talked to, we I did a I did an episode with Cecilia and Megan a couple of weeks ago that we talked specifically about them a, as, um, you know, the the role that they play on Instagram, and also being pro life, um, on social media. So do you guys want to share your Instagram handles really quick? Yeah, definitely. I'm Cecilia Pappas, so it's at C E C I L I A P A P P A S. And then I'm Megan Wells, and it's at M-E-G-S-1553. Nice. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening, everyone.